0: Not long ago, I deleted the Instagram app because I had a strange encounter on Instagram that I think defines karma. Getting Discomfortable with Karma Perhaps one of the single greatest sources of joy in my entire life is having a new insight. Whenever I think of a great new idea or make an interesting connection, any kind of epiphany or realization or new learning that just feels so true, I get this spark of joy. And I immediately pull out my phone and open up the notes app and start writing down whatever I've just thought of. So my phone is just full of ideas, which I'm trying to organize. But at any given time, I can kind of just scroll through and read what I've been thinking about lately, read what I've learned. And one day I was sitting on the couch writing down some new brilliant idea in my phone. I don't remember what it was, but I remember at the time thinking, oh yeah, this is so interesting and true, right? And I was just writing and writing, and then I got a little notification from Instagram. So I clicked on it and I went over to Instagram and I scrolled around for a few, I don't know, maybe 30 seconds. I don't know how long I was on there. And then I went back to my notes and I reread what I was writing and all of a sudden it was so embarrassing. It was like the most cheesy, stupid, ridiculous thing I had ever seen. And I couldn't believe that I thought that this was good. And then I I stopped and I was like, wait, wait, what just happened? A minute ago, I thought these notes were brilliant. And now I think they are ridiculous and obnoxious and I hope that no one ever sees them. So what changed in that one minute? And I realized that what happened was I went on Instagram. And on Instagram, I must have been judging people. I was looking at their photos and rolling my eyes or being jealous. or I Actually, I can't even remember what, what I saw. But it was clear that whatever I did on Instagram completely affected my world view as soon as I looked at anything else. And I think that this is the definition of karma. I was recently listening to some lectures by the humorous philosopher Alan Watts, and I think if I understood him correctly, that this is how he defines karma as well. It's not that when you behave badly in the future, somebody is going to do the same thing to you. I mean, that's certainly possible. I'm sure that if you're putting out a lot of, you know, disrespect or hostility into the world, you're going to color the people around you and then they're going to start to do the same thing to you. But I don't think that's karma. I think karma, by the Alan Watts definition, is instantaneous. Whatever you put out into the world is immediately the world that you live in, if not the world you've always been living in. So when I went on Instagram and started judging people, that judgment immediately reflected back on me. And when I looked at my notes, I suddenly saw it through the lens of other people judging me back. I completely colored my whole view of the world by judging someone. And that is karma. That is what happens when you treat someone badly. You live in a world where people are treated badly, and that reflects just as much on you as on anyone else. And what's incredible is that I had no idea. If I didn't have this stark juxtaposition between enjoying my insights and reviling them in embarrassment, I wouldn't have even realized what I had done. If I was just judging people on Instagram and then started writing notes, it would have seemed like I just didn't like those ideas, and I probably wouldn't have written them down. It just goes to show that what we put out into the world reflects on us as much as it reflects on anyone else, if not more so. And in some cases, I think it just shows the worldview that we're already completely submerged in. So when someone out in the world disrespects me, Of course, it's upsetting, like it it always hurts. But instead of reacting, I try to stop and think, wait, that's the reality that this person is living in. When someone treats us badly, we only have to suffer that for the amount of time that we are with that person. But that person is stuck inside that worldview all the time. So someone might come up and be really critical to me, but then I realize that means they're walking around all day, all the time, being really critical of themselves. I only have to suffer through it for a few minutes, but they have to live like that 24 hours a day. That's karma. It's, it's the worldview that you live in completely trapping you, or your own behavior reflecting immediately onto you. It's not that there's some cosmic intelligence watching everyone's behavior and deciding, okay, that person was unjust in three months. I'm going to create some injustice for them as well. That's not what it's about. It's, it's your own viewpoint coloring your life all the time. And as soon as you behave in a way that is unpleasant, you are just as much the recipient of that unpleasantness as anyone else. In fact, probably more so, because you have to carry that around with you all the time. Other people just experience it and leave. And who can blame them? So when I have a negative experience with someone, I am now trying to not be reactive. Of course, I'm going to have a reaction and I'm going to have emotions and it's going to be unpleasant if they treated me badly. But instead of pushing that emotion back on them or on someone else, I'm trying to find new ways to off-gas that emotion without actually having to hurt someone else or myself. Normally in our world... Emotions are basically bouncing around between people like a pinball machine. Especially, this, is, this is especially true with shame. When someone makes you feel shame, one of the three common reactions is to shame them right back. Emotions fire up our limbic system, which is our fight-or-flight reflex, and the fight portion of that usually means serving them with the exact same negative emotion that you are feeling. So if they make you angry, you get angry at them and you try to make them angry in return. It's like hot potato. The emotion is this piece of coal burning in your hand and you just want to throw it off to someone else. Sometimes it's not even the person who gave you that emotion. You, you throw it off at your friend or your partner or your child or your coworker. Instead, you can kind of break it apart in an interesting way. For one, you can look at the negative behavior that caused the emotion in you and realize that that is the world that that person is living in, which is punishment enough. You you don't need to add to that because when they make you feel shame, it's a projection of their own shame. When When someone shames you, that's them saying, hey... This would make me feel shame if I did it, and I don't think it's fair that you should be allowed to do what I don't allow me to do, so I'm going to shame you in return. It's, it's 100% just a window into their own shame. But when you understand that, you realize that it's totally counterproductive to shame them back because that's just adding to the shame that they already have. So they're then going to be even more shamey and therefore even more prone to shaming you or someone else. Another thing to remember is that the emotion you feel is your own. You create your own emotions. So while you will react to anger often with anger or to shame often with shame, you are basically buying in to what that person is giving you and creating shame in yourself. It's not 100% true that that person caused you to be angry. In a way, though not consciously, your body has chosen to react with anger. And once you're feeling an emotion, it's not like you can just decide not to feel that emotion. You have to let it run its course. This is where mindfulness is really helpful. It allows you to just feel the emotion and not judge it and not try to get rid of it and not try to change it. Just feel it and let it go. Neuroanatomist and TED Talk sensation Jill Bolte-Taylor says that the chemicals released in your brain that cause an emotion only last for 90 seconds. After a minute and a half, if you are still feeling that emotion, it means that you are causing your brain to continually release those chemicals by obsessively replaying something in your mind. It's like you're continually opening that emotional wound by thinking about that situation over and over again. If you can use meditation and mindfulness to stop your thinking, then you really just have to wait it out which is sometimes your your best bet. Because a lot of these situations that cause emotion aren't really worth pursuing. Like if you're walking down the street and someone bumps you with their shoulder, you get angry because you feel like, oh, they disrespected me. They, they didn't look at me. They didn't make space for me. That'll, that'll fill you with shame. It'll fill you with anger. And you'll be walking home thinking, oh, I should have said something. I should have turned around or I should have bumped right into them or I should have done something. But the truth is, it doesn't help to continually think about that situation because the person is gone. And anyway, they're a stranger. The best thing you can do in that situation is let that emotion go as quickly as possible, basically by forgetting it. So when someone bumps you on the street and you realize that it's not worth pursuing in any way, then you just have to be mindful of that feeling for 90 seconds and then let it go. Don't think about it again. The less you think about it, the less likelihood that you'll ever remember it again. But sometimes it's not as simple as that. Sometimes it's someone that we're very close to or someone that we see all the time who made us feel a negative emotion. So every time we see them, they're, they're like a reminder to reopen that emotional wound. And the, the truth is, as I learned vividly <laughs> over my years of being in the closet... If you don't say what you're really thinking, you are, in essence, being inauthentic. And any time you are being inauthentic, you are slowly accruing resentment. Any situation where you don't feel that you can be your full, true self is a situation where you feel oppressed. Inauthenticity is the greatest source of resentment and it slowly accrues until it actually becomes a form of chronic discontent. Psychologist and shame expert Dr. Alan Downs writes a lot about this in his book The Half-Empty Heart, which I highly recommend, though it's kind of an embarrassing book to be reading on the subway. It's very dry self-help, but it really draws a strong connection between inauthenticity and resentment, and resentment and chronic discontent. And Alan Downs makes the point that when we are able to be our authentic selves, we are able to deal with unpleasant emotions and deal with resentment in a healthy way. So when someone causes a negative emotion in me, while I'm trying not to ping-pong it back at them in a hurtful way, I can't just keep it all inside either. That's what Brene Brown calls stockpiling. You just hold all of your negative emotions inside and kind of give a customer service smile every day. But eventually, that stockpile explodes. It's it's sort of like the straw that broke the camel's back. One tiny slight becomes that tiny bit of emotion that adds to this huge pile that no one realized you were carrying around all the time, and it just erupts in a huge explosion of anger and resentment. So we need to find healthy ways to off-gas our emotion, but without actually causing that emotion to negatively affect other people. One of the ways I've been exploring doing this is by detaching myself from my emotions such that I'm able to talk about them without being them. For example, we often think that we are angry, but the truth is we are just blooded with a temporary chemical that causes a certain reaction. We can just feel it and talk about it. So instead of getting angry at someone, we can just say, I'm feeling anger. I find that this is actually quite helpful with shame as well. When someone makes me feel shame, instead of shaming them back or running away or people-pleasing, I just say, oh, I'm feeling shame. And it actually helps to say it aloud sometimes. If you're really close to the person and and it makes sense, you can just say, hey, that statement made me feel shame. And you can say it in a way that doesn't live the shame. It just expresses a fact. Sometimes you aren't in a comfortable situation, say at work, where you could just say, hey, that made me feel shame. But that's the kind of situation where you can then talk to someone you're close to and say, hey, today I felt shame about this. It even helps if you just say it to yourself sometimes. Hmm, that made me feel shame. It's perfectly legitimate to feel emotions. You can't not feel them. And you need to find a healthy way to express them. But that doesn't mean you have to be reactive. I'm making a personal pledge to try not to be reactive about shame. That means anyone who shames me, whether on purpose or not, I am going to try to be the end of that pinball game of shame. Instead of bouncing it back at them or out into the world, that shame stops at me. I can't just stockpile that shame either. I need to find a healthy way to express it, to say, oh, that made me feel shame, which is sometimes an extremely disarming way to deal with a situation. People are incredibly surprised when you tell them, oh, that made me feel shame. They're not expecting you to say something like that And it can sometimes disrupt the whole emotion of the conversation. And usually they'll be like, oh, like, no, don't feel shame. You you don't have to feel shame. And then you can have a whole discussion about, well, (laughs) everyone feels shame. It's not an emotion that you can just elect not to feel. And then you can tell them to listen to my whole seven-part podcast about shame. But that's another discussion altogether. By pledging to be non-reactive to shame, I am trying to end the ongoing pinball game. I mean, shame has to end somewhere. So much of our society is a pattern of shaming leading to more shaming. Like, racism is a perfect example. One of the ways that we've been dealing with racism over the last few decades is through shame. We are telling people that it is not alright to be racist, and if they are racist, they are bad, and they should basically just disappear. The problem is, this doesn't actually cure people of their racism. It just teaches them that they're not allowed to show it. So when you shame a systemic problem like racism, it just goes underground. People kind of hide their true feelings. But it's still there. And the problem with that is that it seems to white people who don't experience a lot of racism that racism doesn't exist anymore. Problem solved. We shamed it out of existence. But because it's still there under the service, people of color uh, have been telling us for a long time now, uh no, like it may seem like racism is gone, but it's still here. It's still affecting me all the time and then you have a situation where a president like Donald Trump gets elected who lessens the shame of racism he He normalizes racism, which actually allows all of this latent racism that was suppressed by shame to come exploding out again. It's not that Donald Trump is creating new racists, though I'm sure that is sometimes the case. I think what we're really seeing is a case where Donald Trump is allowing racism that was simmering under the surface but held down by shame to just come boiling over again. And it goes to show how shame is such an ineffective way of dealing with problems because shame doesn't fix the problem, it just hides it so we, we we've used shame for a number of things ineffectively we, we used shame to try to stop crime that didn't work they used shame back in the middle of the 20th century to try to stop casual sex that didn't work they used shame to try to curb obesity and inspire healthier lifestyles but that didn't work either And now we are using shame in politics constantly. The irony is that we may be supporting a great cause and we think we're doing good, but our tactic of using shame to support a good cause is counterproductive and is actually going to make things worse. It's not going to fix the problem, it's just going to hide it, it's going to create basically a stockpile situation, it's going to create resentment, and eventually it's going to explode. So what do we do? If we can't shame people, what, what, what do we do? Well, we have to use empathy. I know no one wants to empathize with a racist, but the fact is we've all made mistakes of varying degrees. And the degree to which we can empathize with having made a mistake, believing something that isn't true or, or isn't useful or isn't fair, and then changing our minds and evolving, that's the kind of discussion we need to be having about any issue we disagree on. We have to say, hey, it's understandable that you grew up in a culture where you believe that people who are different than you are bad. But we want to show you how that perspective can evolve by modeling how we ourselves have had situations where we believed one thing, and then through education and and new experiences, we changed our minds. When Barack Obama was running for president, he did a really interesting thing with gay marriage. And I'm not sure if it was strategic or not, but I actually think the fact that Obama did not initially support gay marriage ended up being a valuable tool in promoting gay marriage. Because in the course of his presidency, his beliefs about marriage, quote unquote, evolved. And maybe they legitimately did evolve. Or maybe Barack Obama saw that the U.S. wasn't quite ready to adopt same-sex marriage, so he didn't make that part of his initial platform. But once he was elected, he was able to use his sway to model for the public how you could be wrong about gay marriage and change your mind he gave a kind of instruction manual for everyone who had been opposed to say, oh, well, you know what, I was against it, but now that the tides are turning, my views are evolving. Obama elegantly created a path where people could avoid the shame of having been wrong. And that not only allowed him to create the space for same-sex marriage to be legalized, but it gave a number of people an opportunity to evolve with the country, to evolve their thinking. And I think that's the kind of olive branch we need to offer to anyone who we might at first be impelled to shame. If someone's racist, we need to offer them a kind of olive branch in which we can tell them and model for them that it's okay to believe one thing and then discover that that belief was wrong, and to evolve. Shame just says, you're a bad person. But we want to help people change their minds using kind of the equivalent of guilt, which changes the emphasis from the person to the action. So we're not saying you're a bad person because you're racist. We're saying holding a racist view is inaccurate and it's hurtful. And we want to help you, a person who is inherently good, change their opinion and evolve. If there's one thing I believe really strongly, it's that people can change. I've seen dramatic changes in my own life. And I believe that as humans, we all have access to an almost infinite amount of potential. We all have the potential to change. And so when I argue that we should show people empathy, that's not just to be kind. I'm saying this because I think it's the most effective way to engender actual change. You could argue that some of these people holding racist views deserve to be shamed. And you might be right. But that doesn't matter to me. The point is, that will accomplish nothing. Shame doesn't work. Shame does not help change people. And the only thing I'm interested in is changing people. We desperately need to help change people for the better. And shame is not an effective strategy for doing that. So when I argue for empathy and understanding and a guilt mindset, I do that because I strongly believe that that is the best way to help positively change people. And I strongly believe that people can positively change. And when I pledge to be non-reactive to shame and other negative emotions... I'm not doing that just to be altruistic or to prove what a good person I am. I have purely selfish reasons to do that. And that is karma. I now know that what I put out into the world is the reality that I have to live in all the time. So when I shame someone back or, or push any kind of negative emotion out onto another person... I am going to be affected by that just as much, if not more, as anyone else. And I don't want to live that way. I've had enough shame in my life. I want to minimize shame. So I am pledging to find a way to authentically express what I'm feeling so that I don't fall into resentment and discontent, but to do it in a way that is non-reactive, that doesn't Push that emotion onto someone else that doesn't blame anyone else, that doesn't add to the endless cycle of shaming that is plaguing our society. And hey, if you want to pledge to be non-reactive to shame as well, that would be totally cool. (laughs) Okay, thanks, bye.